If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all over the city, the state, the country, wherever you are, continent, globe, galaxy, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. And I found somebody hanging out, rolling natural 20s with his homie, our co-host, Mr. Brandon Pham. Hey, what's up? Driving by with my friend this week, <laughs> our special guest, Matt Colville. That's me. How you What's doing, up, Matt? Matt? I'm doing great, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I like the, uh, I like descri- describing Brandon as rolling rolling twenties. That's awesome. <laughs> See, yeah. that's a. I knew when I said that I was like, Brandon's probably not going to get this, but I think <laughs> Matt. <laughs> have you guys? Have either of you guys? Have, do I, I mean, it's weird that my life is so consumed with D and D now, but it seems like that's all I talk about. Do either of you guys familiar with D and D? Either of you played that guy? I'm the art guy, so okay. no. <laughs> really? Because like a lot of artists, I know a lot of artists that play D and D when they were kids. I'm, so. I'm not that. I'm not good of an artist to to play it, but that's the case. Well, fair, maybe you should play more. Maybe that would help. <laughs> get better. Did you know people you in high school it. that played? Is one of those things where you're like, I know yes, people I play, do. but it's it seems like a weird game. Like those guys are nerds. Why would I yeah. play that? Well, not yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> I, I know, I know how it is. I, I no, I get it, I get it, man. I, I, I just never had friends that played. That's, well, that's uh, how it works. It typically, yeah. it's like if you know people, you know, it's 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 like a lot of things. It's based on the network. Like people will say, oh yeah, no, the reason I play Counter Strike is because it's a lot more like you know it's faster. It's this that, and the other. It's like well, no, the reason you played it's because what your friends play. If your friends yeah. all play Battlefield, you play that. But right, yeah, yeah. I'm de- I'm definitely uh I love games that you talk a lot, for sure. Like, I, I'm, like, cool. a big fan of those card games that you're, you know, uh, there's, like, different variants of it, but Mafia is one of the things. Oh, sure, yeah. Where you're, well, like, super manipulative yeah. and stuff. Like, I'm really it's, uh, good at lying. You have joined us at a, <laughs> at a time at, uh, at uh, I apologize, Larry, that uh, we should talk about your experience with Dandy. But the, no, uh, you're, you're at um, Turtle Rock Studios mm-hmm. at a time when there are many of us. And when the company was much smaller, we would play Werewolf, like, every week. There we go. And one of the own werewolf is basically mafia, right? right. This is, I don't know if Larry, if you're familiar with this, but it's a great, great social game. It's a party game. We need more, to bring it back. The more people I learn. Oh, so yeah. Cool. Yeah. And the one I learned so much about one of the owners of the company, uh, Chris Ashton, that dude is like, he can just look at you and say, you're the werewolf. <laughs> it's like that's crazy how does he how does he do that I'm like it must be something about running a company like dealing with lots of people yeah and learning how people work you can just look at somebody and go werewolf and you're like i don't want to play challenge with werewolf. Not fun. accepted <laughs> yeah it, it can kind of backfire if you're playing with co-workers and it's like that guy's really good at being a werewolf yeah, or, yeah people <laughs> like, get really upset. like people 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 get really angry i've seen people like yeah. legit yell at each other because <laughs> that's awesome why do you keep calling me a werewolf that. i'm not i'm not a goddamn werewolf <laughs> you got that we face. need to do a game of unchained game night we need to get yeah, some games we i'm honestly just record like playing that might some be games. pretty cool that would be a great segment Larry, what was your experience with uh, D&D? Did you play with uh, So, okay, mine's a little embarrassing, but I got nice. introduced to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons when I was in middle school. I think it was... It was 
in third edition. Oh. I think it was second going into Wait, third what, edition. What year was it? Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, shit. Maybe it was like the late 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. That would have been second edition going into third edition. Yeah, I remember I remember the cover of the books, right? So, like, it, the player's handbook has the, like, the fighter with the sword oh, yeah. in the air. It's kind of brownish. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that that era. And, man, we were the worst. It was like, you kill one thing and, like, treasure was raining from the trees. Sure, yeah. <laughs> There's actually a term for that kind of game. It's called a... Yeah. It's called a Monty Hall game because there used yeah. to be a game show called Let's Make a Deal. And yeah. the host was called, the host's name, Monty the actual Hall. name of the, was Monty Hall. And yeah. so the dungeon master who just gives his buddies, it's like, that's, let's have fun. Treasure is awesome. Here's a ton of it. Is, uh, that's, 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 how we, that's how we did it. But as I look classic, back, classic. it was like such a complicated rule set for some middle schoolers. You know what I mean? But like we all had the books and we like learned how to play that game and we thought we were tight. I think that. Um, it, it, that's uh, something I've noticed that's changed that I'm not, I'm happy. We, we live in a time uh, like a board gaming, tabletop gaming renaissance. Yeah. Largely, and this is going to sound strange, but largely because of China, it's mm. really, really cheap to make really high quality board game, like uh, pieces and boards in China. And so thank you, China. Yeah. I mean, game companies like small little indie game companies can now make really, really cool looking board games. But something I miss is that like, when I was in middle school, when I was in like junior high and early high school, my friends and I would go to Toys R Us mm-hmm. and they would have games like Axis and Allies. Axis and Allies is like Risk with Calculus. It's like mm-hmm. so it's so much more complex right. than Risk, but we didn't know that oh, this is a this isn't a game for kids. It was it seemed obvious it was in Toys R Us. It must be a game for kids and we just played it. Yeah. And yeah. it took us a while to learn the rules and we were always kind of but I think that uh People, you'd be surprised at what somebody in seventh or eighth or ninth grade can master. And in fact, I think that kids at that age, especially, they like that feeling that there are answers to the questions. And that's the seduction of D&D is that feeling that if I read these rule books, there is an answer in here for everything. Kids at that age do not like ambiguity. They do Mm -hmm. not like having to make stuff up. They like right, answers. Right, right. Um, they don't like gray areas. They like, they like to believe the world is black and white. So that feeling, if, if I just sit here and read this, I will get all the answers. is really simple. Right. And nowadays, I, def- I think people do think that. I think they have that attitude of like, it's complex. Oh, it's hard. Look at all these rules. It's like, man, we did this when we were like 13. It's not that hard. It's apps. It's like the convenience of apps is like <laughs> we, are, we are not dependent on our own brains down. anymore. You know what I mean? I, mean? That's, that's, I, think that's, I think that's true. I think that we're, well, we're, we're, learning, we're learning different things, right? We're learning how to find knowledge online, yeah. right? We're mm-hmm. learning how to use the tools. We're tool using creatures. We're learning how to use the tools in our hands to communicate, to access data. So that now, like, it's like we, we, we know fewer things, but we can find out anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're exactly right. You're exactly right. So, uh, Mr. So, Brandon, fam, we kind of skipped one of our introduction uh, <laughs> segments. Uh, yeah, I'll let Brandon. <laughs> we'll definitely round back to this discussion, but uh, before we go any deeper, Matt, do you yes, mind kind of going through your resume, kind of introducing yourself to our audience, kind of sure. giving them a background of where you came from well um it's long because i'm old uh i started i like my first uh career job was working at a pen and paper game company that is now defunct and obscure called last unicorn games the um the guy who owned the company or started the company his girlfriend's favorite book was a book called the last unicorn and so he wanted to impress mm-hmm. her and named his company after that book and i joined the team working on a card game a collectible card game uh, this is only like 
three or four years after Magic the Gathering was invented. And this was a card game based on the science fiction novel Dune by Frank Herbert. That was one of my favorite books. Uh, So I was incredibly lucky to get to work on that card game. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys have played Magic the Gathering. Dagger has. But like... (laughs) At, nowadays, a- Magic is considered a really complex game. Like every other collectible card game, like Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon is way simpler. Hearthstone, mm-hmm. way simpler. But yeah. back in back in the mid-90s, no one knew what Magic Gathering was the first one. And so everyone sort of assumed, well, that it must be the simplest. It's the first. And mm-hmm. so Dune was way more complex than Magic Together. It was insanely difficult rules-wise. And that mm-hmm. was just how we thought things were going to be. And I got to work on a couple of different iterations of the Star Trek role-playing game, which was a lot of fun. And that little company got bought by a company called Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, we worked for Wizards of the Coast for about an hour and a half. And they (laughs) they laid us all off. And then we ended up working for a company called, I worked at a company called Decipher. Okay. Decipher makes, uh, they make a lot of stuff. They make like how to host a murder mystery games, but they also make the Star Trek and Star Wars collectible card games. And I ended up working for them on the Lord of the Rings role-playing game. That was a lot of fun because that was during, that was when Lord of the Rings, like Fellowship of the Ring was in production, hadn't come out yet. Yeah. And so still, like yeah. Richard Taylor, who's like the head of Weta, I'd be on the phone with that guy asking him for, and he was, he was they were nobody yet. Like they hadn't released mm-hmm. a movie. So this mm-hmm. dude would end up going on to be like a huge influence on a lot of artists. Yeah. And I would just be like, can you fax us this concept art so we can, we can get, we can, so that we can get art made for our book. And he was like, uh, yeah, sure. And his crazy Kiwi accent. And we would see all this crazy concept art, a lot of which never made it into the movie and we were just blown away. And so that was a lot of fun getting to work. We had uh, got to work with new line entertainment. And so that was cool. And then I jumped ship for a friend of mine. I worked on a, um, a strategy war game, like a, a miniature war game based in the Star Trek universe called Red Alert. And a friend of mine who was at Pandemic, he was the lead designer. He was the lead designer on a game called Mercenaries. Mm-hmm. He uh, he walked into a game store. This is the story he tells me. He walked into a game store and he saw a tournament of this game happening. And he was like, oh, if Matt if Matt can do this, he can, he can work in games. And so he said, uh, he just said, you want to come work at Pandemic? And I was like, yeah. yeah. I uh, at that point uh, I had I was like a, I was the director of the RPG studio RPG and, and war game studio for Decipher and I felt mm-hmm. like there wasn't anywhere else to go in tabletop mm-hmm. so I started as a junior designer at Pandemic and I worked there for I worked at Pandemic for like eight years I think I was there for about a year and a half or two years as a just purely designer some of mm-hmm. the happiest moments of my life were just being being a designer at Odd Mercenaries and then we uh, we needed a, a writer. And they hired a screenwriter uh, who I don't think had ever actually sold a script. He was just somebody who had been jobbing around Hollywood and somebody right. at the somebody at LucasArts knew him. And this dude um, didn't know how to write for games. He wasn't a bad mm-hmm. writer, but he right. didn't understand that, like, in video games, you can't just say whatever you want. Yeah. If a character, especially like a Cortana style character, yeah. says something to you, the player is going to think, well, I guess I have to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful what information you give the player. And Mercenaries was like a um, open world GTA style game, but in a war zone. And so you can't like giving having the player giving him missions is hard because the player can do whatever they want. That's the whole idea is like you can't tell the player what to do. But a writer really wanted to tell really wants to tell the player what to do because that's clear. And it's concise. It's obvious. Seems like mm-hmm. good writing. Seems like good writing, but for a GTA style game, you kind of just got to tell them what they have to do. Like, here's the here's the goal, 
And it's up to you how you do it. Like you can do it however you want. And that was really tricky. So I spent a lot of my time like redlining this guy's dialogue and word choice. And eventually, um, and any of the designers could have done that, by the way. There was nothing special about me at that time. Um, Any designer could have gone through that guy's stuff and redlined it, but I'm the one that did. And there was very much a sense of, oh, thank God. Let's have him do it. Let's have Matt do it. Let's have Matt write this stuff. It was like writing at that time. And I think this is still true at a lot of companies. It was like a hot potato. The person mm-hmm. who hated doing it the least ended up doing it. <laughs> and so I ended up writing the whole game. And then Mercenaries 2 happened. Mercenaries 2, much larger, much more ambitious game. Yeah, totally. Very, very sort of um, badly, badly implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, and a nightmare to work on. And it showed in the final incredibly buggy product. And uh, so that was more writing. I, at that point, I was a writer and a designer. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, they shut Pandemic Studios down. EA bought Pandemic Studios and then shut it down. And mm-hmm. so some friends of mine and I started a little company. We wanted to work on like Xbox Live games because right. at the time, Xbox Live was just blowing up. Yeah. And it looked like a small team of like five to 10 people could make a game like, there was a game called Shadow Complex for Xbox Live. Yeah. It was just awesome. Definitely God, that, game, that, one. that game was Unreal. so cool, man. I, yeah, yeah. It was, it was them showing off Unreal. And so we talked to those guys and they said, listen, we'll just give you Unreal. We'll just give it to you and we'll, because we want to be in this space so bad and we want anyone else to adopt Unreal and show what it mm. can do. You guys will just pay us a royalty on the back end. And we're like, fine. But then like while we were talking to Microsoft, Microsoft was super excited about all this. There was literally like one day we went up to Seattle and all of a sudden every like everything at at the Xbox division, including like the the bus that picked you up at the parking lot had connect all over it. Everything was connect all of a sudden. And mm-hmm. they were like, Xbox Live, who cares about that? Oh. And we were like, oh. <laughs> and we were like, we don't like connect is such a gimmick. It is such a gimmick. Yeah. We didn't care. And Called so it, yeah. we ended well, up. One uh, in the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, correct. Like it was obvious to, it seemed obvious to literally everyone except Microsoft that connect was just a gimmick. And so we ended up uh, working on like little iPhone games, and that was fun. And got a deal with a company in China to make a, a web, I mean, an iPhone kind of fighting game based on an MMO. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and, uh, Turtle Rock Studios was looking for a writer. A friend of mine who was looking for a job saw this job posting, and he's not a writer, but he was like, "Matt, this is you." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, Turtle Rock Studios. Who are they?" That was my mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my reaction. <laughs> I literally never heard of them. And yeah. it's like, "Oh, they made Left for Dead." I thought surely that was Valve. And yeah. so I very quickly learned the history of this company, Turtle Rock Studios, right. and what they did. Right. And uh, I applied there. I applied. I got an interview. I bombed out. <laughs> bombed out. What do you mean? What do you mean bombed out? Oh, Are I you was, being modest because you're there? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I bombed that interview. I was very lucky. The lead, um, the lead designer on Evolve at the time, a guy named uh, Jason Anderson. I should say like the senior designer because really the design director was kind of in charge. But his yeah. right-hand man was a guy named Jason Anderson. And Jason, I didn't know Jason from, I, I knew it was by reputation. Jason Anderson's a guy that was Mr. Wasteland and Mr. Fallout. So right, I was right. kind of like in awe of this guy, but I'd never met him, never talked to him. And like over 200 people applied for the gig. Ooh. And he was, was his, yeah, I know it's insane. It's crazy. And uh, a lot of them weren't, a lot of them were something like one guy was like a travel writer. He wrote for like Condé Nast and <laughs> I just needed a gig. And uh, Jason, it was both, basically mostly uh, Jason Anderson who decided, I think you're the guy. 
And yeah. so when I bombed out on the interview, he was like, we're going to fix this. <laughs> he, said, he told me what I did wrong. Yeah. And the whole time I was just having all these ideas about this game. Didn't have a name at the time. It's called metamorphosis. I just had uh -huh. all these ideas, a lot of which actually made it in the game. Like the characters nice. in evolve, what they do, they're called planet tamers. They're dudes that colonists hire to come okay. take care of the wildlife. So these colonists can kind of live their lives uninterrupted. And that was something I pitched them when I didn't work there. I was just emailing these guys after it's the interview, it, after it didn't yeah. go, didn't go well. And they were like, one of now a really good friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, and a player in my D&D &D game, Phil Robb, one of the owners, just said, Matt, that dude seems like he would be exhausting to work with. Uh, and they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't they didn't want to work with somebody who was like how many years in before he told you what he thought uh I, that's a good I, I i heard that from the person he said it to it was uh, quite a while later before i relayed that back to him and he laughed uh yeah. Yeah, but it was definitely i had been at, like literally that day i don't know how noodly you guys want to get I, i'd been at warner brothers pitching right. them on my little iphone game company and we had a bunch of stuff to go through and so i was very much in like used car salesman mode right mm -hmm. and I was dressed up and I went down there and I was still like, Hey, how you guys doing? Hi, <laughs> Hi my name is Matthew Colville. Uh, and it was, I, I was super douchebaggy on my part. And so I just said, give me another chance guys. And mostly I think just other people weren't working out. And so they brought yeah. me back in and I was a lot more relaxed and they're like, okay, fine. You'll, oh hell you'll do. I think was the, was <laughs> fine. The yeah. And so it's I've been there ever since that here, was yeah. over six years ago. That's awesome. And uh, and we've we shipped Evolve, which is certainly still remains and probably will be the proudest thing I've done in the business. I don't think um, I don't think I'll ever get a chance to, like, build a science fiction universe from mm -hmm. scratch mm -hmm. and work with like a, a team like that and all working together to build this. Not just a game. We built a game, but we also created a whole setting. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's something that, uh, you know, you very, very rarely get a chance to do that in this business. Well, Matt, I hope you get just, another one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see any way that could ever happen again. Like the, the circumstances <laughs> are so unique. Um, you know, like people covet that. I remember we're interviewing there. I remember interviewing at Turtle Rock and saying, "You guys have created this little utopia. Mm -hmm. Like you guys get to basically do what you want." And uh, they, at the time, I don't think they even knew. Like the guys that founded Turtle Rock Studios, their motto was, "We just want to hire the kind of people that we like to work with." and not have to end. Sure. And one of the things that they, those guys, like we've learned that anytime we have to go far outside the company, it can often be like, ah, uh, because <laughs> that's just what happens when yeah. you work together really closely, you develop a shared language. Yeah. And yeah. it's not that those, it's not that people outside the company aren't good. It's that they don't talk, they don't, they don't speak our unique bullshit language that we've developed. And it can be really mm -hmm. tedious trying to communicate outside of, uh, I think that's true of a lot of companies probably. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt, what I love about you as a writer is that you're very well spoken and you talk a lot like to me like you need those type of things and those are the type of things i look for a writer like guys who are always coming up with talking like a million miles per minute and then being able to come up with ideas on the fly and having all these resources and you're being having a having a designer background as well definitely helps like you you have that Unique perspective. I, I think that's the thing, like, especially Chris Ashton, who's the design director. I think that's the thing he values is that he and I can have a conversation and we're not talking about the writing. We're not right. even talking about the design. We're talking about the game. Right. We're talking about the game holistically. What is good for the game? And that includes design and that includes writing. Um, I think one of the reasons I got the gig was in my, uh, they, they had a big questionnaire. I had a big like essay I had to write. And one of the questions I asked was, what is the role of writing? How do you see the role of writing in games? And my answer was like, the job of the writing is to contextualize the gameplay, mm -hmm. right? There you you don't, you don't play the writing. 
Yeah. And uh, I got the like um, Turtle Rock Studios, very open company, like super open company. Like for a long time, the milestone feedback, including like how much how much we were getting paid by the publisher it was all mm-hmm. public knowledge. Uh, anybody could go on the drive and and read that stuff. And so I could go and read the other essays other writers had written to see like what did i do different what did i do why me why did what did i do different and they were all like not i think mostly they were like you know the writing's the most important thing yeah i'm like you're 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 crazy you're insane (laughs) that's ridiculous it's just writing for christ's sake like uh but people like if you're you know i think they i'm not even sure they believed that i felt like maybe they had to say they felt like they had to say that because they're interviewing for the writer's job and i was like no that's nonsense that's nonsense so i have a very kind of pragmatic view i think writing needs to be good i think needs to be punchy but i don't trick myself into thinking that the writing is important in the grand scheme of things i think writing and audio writing and music writing and Mm -hmm. audio are where the heart of the game lives Mm -hmm. right like uh, many is the time i've been working on a project and everyone's having fun playing the game but it's like you're playing with it's like a toy right it's mm-hmm. fun to play with and then you put it down but when the when the dialogue goes in when the music goes in all of a sudden it feels like a game it feels like we're working on this project it feels like we're working on something that's going to be in stores that people can buy and so that's a that's that's a responsibility i take really seriously i don't think writing is that important in the grand scheme of things but in in that role i take it super mm-hmm. seriously of course and you're the best type of writer because everyone else on the team thinks the writing isn't important, and so do you. So it's like, <laughs> so I'm lucky that I work at uh, Turtle Rock Studios because those guys, those guys have a much better attitude toward writing than anyone I've ever worked with before. Man, I was, they in must. A, yeah. It, it, well, I think it comes from the fact that the guys who run the studio are not—they don't come from. They're not producers. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, they're not, they didn't come from the publisher. One of them's a level designer and the other one's an artist. And oh, awesome. Uh, they, they, they see writing as just another part of the puzzle, not this like commodity. A lot of companies treat writing like a commodity, like, mm-hmm. like, like orange juice. You don't care where the oranges came from. Yeah. You don't care. It doesn't matter what farm the oranges came from. I think a lot of companies treat writing the same way. I was in a very early meeting with one of the owners and um, someone in the meeting said, well, we can just we can just explain this in dialogue. We'll just have a character say it. And that, I didn't say it. I didn't. I, I was like, well, I'll figure something out. But yeah. Bill, my boss, one of the owners, said, no, what? No, don't don't say that because you can't just say it, quote unquote. You have to have you have to have a beginning. A conversation has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's got to flow. To it has to sound natural. And I'm like. Mm. That's that's I'm thank God I work here because yeah. <laughs> like like otherwise I would have had to go back to my desk and have to write like a line of dialogue that would be super contrived and it wouldn't sound natural at all. And yeah. that's why video games sound the way they do. That's why video game right. dialogue is the way it is. But Phil understands that it has to sit a line has to sit in a conversation. And and I was like, oh, good Lord, I never want to work anywhere else. That's still true. <laughs> so in combination of everything that you've done. Like what's most impressive and what I always look for in a designer writer is their ability and their passion about uh, tabletop games. Huh. I feel to be a designer, you, you should be able to prototype with a paperclip and paper <laughs> some type of rules and set that I understand that I can play it right now without having to have a whole production behind it. Yeah, we call that uh, we would call that two D prototyping. At yes. uh, especially at pandemic, we would say we we meant let's just make a board game. But we would say that sounded that sounded trivial. So we would say let's make a two D prototype. But it was literally like there was a point, especially with mercenaries, where 
there's all these different moving pieces. You know, there's a whole world and all these different factions all doing stuff, and the player can move around where we have, at one point, we, the game wasn't ready, it wasn't testable, so mm-hmm. we had to literally make, like, a board game to see does here's where here's where in the world i go to spend money here's where i earn money here's what's mm-hmm. happening while those things and, and one of the nice things about a board game is a piece can only be in one place at once right you can write a design doc that makes perfect sense but once you've made like even uh, like even a simple prototype like a 2d board game now you're you're thinking in terms of where is my character how long does it take to get from point a to point b what are the other factions doing where am i earning money how much does it cost to do this right mm-hmm. and uh how much you know how much do the weapons cost uh and a lot of that stuff can be you can get a long way very quickly with the 2d prototype uh, right. a lot of the games we work on at turtle rock though are just because we tend to work in like the first person shooter uh mode we value the ability to like put together an actual working prototype of the game in like a week even if it's ugly and even if none of the animations are playing uh, there's no audio uh but you can still run around the world and shoot people and do the kind of stuff you need to do and that i that i value that i I love the ability to kind of like let's start let's start thinking now about i'm the writer so i want to start thinking now about what are the characters going to say when do they talk? What kind of things are they going to say? How much surface area is there for storytelling? Because it's not always obvious. And people often misunder- misunderstand. People often uh, <laughs> underestimate. That's a little George Bush quote. A little often underestimate um, how many opportunities there are to convey information to the player. There are often many fewer than you would guess. And uh, so when you when you're when you don't have that many when you don't like cutscenes and you're not making like a campaign single player campaign thing if you're talking about multiplayer shooter which is kind of turtle rock specialty mm-hmm. you got to be really mindful of who who can talk and when and how much time do we have because it's usually not very long yeah and so the sooner we can get in there and start playing it the better yeah any forms of prototyping has always been uh, handy in the game development business like i i even would want to see like a tabletop prototype at the beginning of every project, like a dedicated person just turning yeah. this into a board game rough, you know, we don't have to send it to China. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and do a whole production on it. But like being able to just like, because you see a lot of that and I, I haven't been able, not every company take, uh, take advantage of that. Like the only times that I've done it has been back way in college where our teacher was a real uh, supporter of a tabletop game. Cardboard cowboy. Yeah, like a full on, he he would make us prototype it paper and pen style before we do anything digital. Yeah, and it's smart. I would love to see that more at game companies all over the place, where they would spend like maybe three days for four days. Yeah, it doesn't take long. Well. We were doesn't take that a, long at all. Yeah, a, a campaign mode. I don't know. This is something I don't know if we've ever talked about. We were working on a campaign mode for Evolve. Because the publisher said we had to. Uh, and so we said, okay. And we, we spent some time and spent some cycles trying to see if we could come up with like a single player campaign or a, maybe, maybe something that would be a multiplayer campaign or maybe something that would have like a, a, a world campaign mode that all players are sort of playing all in. Something like what Hell, a game called Helldivers would later actually do quite well. Uh, I don't know if you guys, if you guys haven't played Helldivers, it's on PS3, super cool. And I made, I went, I, I, I had a very clear vision of how it could work. And so I just went to, um, Went to Target and bought a copy of Risk and used Risk because it had every, all the already had like eighty percent of the work the was already done, smart. and I was able to then like use cards and 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 you know improv not improvise but you know um, 
kit bash my own stuff together and bring people into the kitchen and say we're gonna play we're gonna play the campaign let's do it nice. i'll play the monster nice. you play the heroes and we would go through stuff and i go okay go back to square one and iterate on it until it was in pretty good shape um but that the the production the production necessary to do a campaign mode would have required literally a whole other yeah. game company yeah so i don't think so that was the, that was the problem it wasn't that we didn't personally have ideas. it wasn't that uh yes, they would have been good it's just that we were a company of about 100 people mm-hmm. and it takes like you know to a make a full-on narrative focused campaign for a video game takes it's a know, separate team yeah it's like it can yeah it's dep- especially in this day and age if you're talking about a modern console game so it's got to look a certain it's got to look good it's gonna have all it's got a whole bunch of unique assets has to because otherwise it doesn't feel like it's its own thing you're talking about like 300 people working for three years and yeah. that's it i don't think most people i don't think most gamers understand nor should they they should just be free to spend their money and enjoy right. the game or not but uh they don't understand that like uh a multiplayer and single player are two different games and that means yep. you need basically two game companies and mm-hmm. maybe that's one huge company but otherwise it's hugely expensive and that's one of the reasons there's this rush to um microtransactions and free to play let people let people pay money for stuff in game because games are way 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 more expensive now yeah so one of the things that i love about paper prototyping is it or just prototyping in general is you really get to the core of what you're trying to build and you do it fast like it requires you to make hard decisions you know what i mean or you realize quickly that you need to make a hard decision you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and so i would i i just wanted to co-sign to that with you because it's like i've worked where companies are i've worked on games and worked on projects where it can kind of start ballooning because it's so easy to like yeah let's do this and this mm-hmm. and this yeah. and this and it's like oh my god like, uh, let's actually experience all these ideas and realize yeah. that we don't need five we need two yeah the five's a lot yeah um that you're, you're lucky if you get one good one um yeah. the i work with uh, there's a friend of mine at work who shall remain nameless but i've often um i've noticed that if you've never had to actually make a game yourself oh here we go like like i, I don't ah, mean like ah. <laughs> i don't mean like work on a game we're all working oh, yeah. on a game but if right. you actually ever sat down and made a game from soup to nuts from beginning to end yourself yeah. Could be a tabletop game, could be a video game, I don't care, it could be Space Invaders. Do something. Whatever. If you if you've never done gone through that exercise, you you don't you don't understand that imagining something is not the same as doing it. Mm-hmm. Like in your head, you can imagine how this is supposed to work. And if you've never had to actually take that imagined idea and no and bullshit, it, yeah. get it down on paper and start playing it, you don't realize, oh, this thing I thought was fun. You, you, you go through this process of this thing I thought I could do, mm-hmm. I can't actually, because it conflicts with this whole other game system I thought we were going to need. So I've got to use, I, I thought this was going to work. It's not going to work. And then you end up in another later stage where you're like, okay, now that I've actually got all this stuff working, I have discovered that it's not fun. <laughs> and yep. in my head, it was fun. But now that I've actually got to sit down and implement this stuff, I discover that, A, some things I thought were going to be easy are actually impossible. And then mm-hmm. B, uh, some things that I thought would surely be fun. Now that I'm actually doing it, you're like, oh, yeah, no, this isn't fun, as it turns out. And so it's easy to sit there and say, well, we can do anything. We could do this. We could do that. We could do this other thing. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. That's not game design. Yeah. Um, there's there's not, not every idea you have can be implemented on and turned into a fun game. Yeah. 
And it gets more and more complicated the more people you add to it because you're adding a variable and you don't know their capacity. Yeah, and it gets really hard to build consensus when you've got a whole bunch of people. Like early on on Evolve, um, a friend of mine who was the uh, audio guy, uh, he he said, let's go to lunch and talk about the music. Because he he and I had known each other for a long time and he knew that I, I love music. And I was like, nah, I don't think that's good yet. <laughs> right? And he was like, why? And I was like, because, because it's not, that's so far really outside my realm. Right. That you shouldn't want to know what I think. Yeah. It's just going to make it harder for, to build consensus. You, right. should, you should focus on a small group of people who are all uh, invested. Right. I mean, by, they have skin in the game and I don't, I would just be sitting here talking about the, whatever shit I like. Right. Um, and that notion of like, let's, let's keep the number of people involved in this decision, a small and B people who are relevant to the process. And Damn. so I was basically trying to do him a favor yeah. by saying, you know, I don't ask me because I, I can make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. That's my job. And I have no idea what I'm talking about. You shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't care what I think about the music. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's often a problem of knowing you have to like having the process of taking ideas into implementation and going and making a game is a process of building trust, right? Trust with your coworkers, trust with a small group of people. And you don't have, you don't have that relationship with every single person at the company. There are some people at the company that you're like, you're really far removed from this process and Mm -hmm. you, 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 you aren't part of the group of people. You don't know all the assumptions that we all take for granted. Now you haven't built this shared language with us. And so I have to be careful. Like with the writing, this is true of everything. I think this is true of the art, the animation, the lighting, everything. You have to be careful early on with Mm -hmm. who you share your work with, right? Because not everybody is in a position to give you valuable feedback. Everyone's going to have feedback. Everyone's going to have feedback, but a lot of people, a lot of maybe most people you ask them what they what, what you go like did you like it and they have an answer yeah i liked yeah. it no i didn't like it usually as a writer at that point i go okay great thanks yeah great thanks you didn't like it no problem i, I know why you didn't like it by the way i'm a pro i know yeah. which part was the best probably not going to work so yeah you didn't like okay let me go away and monkey with it if you ask them why they didn't like it no. how they start thinking for the first time they weren't thinking when they were doing it when they right, were playing right. the game when they were reading they were just having a gut reaction but when you ask them why now they come they come up with some bullshit answer right because right, they right. feel they have to they feel that to intellectualize it and i super don't trust that i really do not trust that <laughs> kind of like now yeah. i'm i didn't have my brain on a minute ago a minute ago i was just reacting right that's honest and i trust that honesty but now right. you ask me what I think, and so now I'm going to start. I'm going to start thinking about it. Go up with something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't. I don't want that part. I don't want that crap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Larry. It just sounds like Matt's been on the other side of the fence, so he's just <laughs> practicing what he's preaching, which is very valuable as a yeah, designer writer. Like that is rare, dude. <laughs> no, it's what's interesting is I love the viewpoint of when you were talking about working with or going to lunch with your friend who does music and saying, you know, it's kind of not my realm, and you don't want my feedback. You know, I. Yeah. I I've also experienced in a group of like, let's just say designed by committee, there's individuals who will be part of it where if they don't feel like they've added anything, they Mm -hmm. feel, you know what I mean? Like it's 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 on them personally. And so for all, like forsaking the project, they have to like, the meeting needs to close with me being on paper as coming up with X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And that's, um, that's super common. It's, it's common at every level. Like, uh, you gotta be careful because writers want to write. Mm-hmm. So if you give them something, they're going to try and write the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Animators want to animate. So they want to animate the hell out of something. People always want to, and that's why things in video games are so weird. Like, uh, like why is this person moving this way? People don't move like that in real life. They kind of just stand around and small movements every once in a while. But if an animator did that, they would feel like they weren't working. That's not, 
that's not, I gotta, I gotta, characters gotta gesticulate and they gotta, right. And same thing with the dialogue, same thing with the writing. And people also, I think they, um, they are afraid of just sitting back and letting the process happen. Um, that feeling of like the thing, the greatest thing I can do is just keep my mouth shut because this is, we're just going to work our way through this and not everybody. Yeah. Like not everybody needs to have, not everybody at the company needs to have a say in what's going on. And the only thing that can survive that design by committee process is oatmeal. That's it. Mm. Like we took all the raisins out because somebody didn't like raisins. Fuck, you know, like it's 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 you, you it's, make it as bland as shit. Yeah. yeah, that's the only thing that can survive, and you see that so often in a lot of commercial products, not just video games, but especially video games, mm-hmm. where like if you have any any, I've said this in other, I've said this, I say this at work, like this is so pretentious, but I believe it. Like all artistic endeavors are a tension between the familiar and the challenging. Mm-hmm. Right. And the problem with that is if you don't really understand that something that is sufficiently interesting where you're like, oh, that's cool. Part of that is the challenging part. Yeah. If it's too challenging, then people are like, I have no idea what this is. This is so weird. If it's too familiar, people are like I've seen this a million times. You need both. But part of that super strong reaction people have is the fact that they've never seen something exactly like this before. But also that will always mean it will always every time mean there's somebody who doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's something they've never seen because oh, I don't know. Right. So anytime you get a really strong positive reaction from people on the team, you are also going to get a strong negative reaction from some people on the team. And if you only if you're always trying to appease everybody, then that means you're always going to be bringing everything down until eventually, yeah. eventually there's nothing interesting left. Right. And there's, it doesn't feel like there's any vision. And that's the only thing that can survive that process. So, right. yeah. Jesus, tell it like it is. <laughs> I love it. I love the view. Happily, I, I don't think we do that at Turtle Rock. All right. So as a designer to another designer and talking about game design, I feel like it's uh, about that time we put you through a little test here. Okay. It's, uh, it's a game fail. that we play on this podcast. It's called The Fast Five. Okay. I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions, and I'm hoping for five semi rapid fire answers. I'll do my best. Top of your head. Okay. You'll be fine. Are you ready to play? Yeah. Yes, I'm ready. All right, True. Go. No, wait. Uh, <laughs> Halo, wait. number two. <laughs> uh, All right. So, first question: If you had to live forever in one console generation, which one would it be? <laughs> um, I the first thing that came to mind was like Xbox 360, PS2. Okay. Next question: Do you still wish Capcom made D and D arcade games? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> no, I think I played. I think I played one or two of those, but I didn't fall in love with them or anything. No Just worries. Enough, yeah. Question number three: If you could change or remove one Dungeons and Dragons rule altogether, what would it be? Oh wow! I guess. Oh, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Though you have asked a question, I don't have a. If I could change, if I could change one rule just completely rewrite the book and say i'm pulling this out okay so i guess the only thing i can think of is like fuck i don't know <laughs> i think i would probably say this isn't a rule it's a class i would probably say right now i would say the sorcerer because okay. i feel like i feel like they added the sorcerer to the game because people were complaining about how wizards worked mm-hmm. because wizards in D cast magic in a very very strange way that doesn't that is and people are like this is dumb. Why can't I just have like spell points? And they're like, <laughs> fine. Here, here's the sorcerer. Shut up. And I'm like, no, gotcha. but it should be. It should feel weird. Magic should feel weird. It shouldn't feel like a regular system. It should feel this like. But anyway, go ahead. Rapid fire. 
No, no worries, no worries. Uh, question number four: What's the last game that you played, start to finish, video game specifically? Last game I finished is probably Last of Us. Oh, nice! That's a good one. Um, uh, I, 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 there are a lot of games I love. I really love that I never, I never finished. Uh, for me, gaming, even solo gaming, is um, is a very. There's probably other games I just haven't off the top of my head. I can't think of. Uh, it's a very social thing. Even solo games mm-hmm. like uh, Alien Isolation. Loved that game. Loved that game. But after a couple of weeks, it wasn't Halloween anymore, and a lot of my friends had finished it. And so I didn't, the, the moment had passed and mm-hmm. I moved on to other games, even though I love that game. So for me, a big part of gaming has always been the fact that my, it's what my friends are playing. It's what we're talking about at right. work. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Last question. You made it to the end. Yay. Number five. If you could take over as the writer for any science fiction or fantasy movie series, which would it be and why? Dune. All right. Uh, they just, they just, uh, they signed a deal to, to adapt dune into a movie they don't they haven't announced whether it's going to be a movie or tv series Mm -hmm. but it's with denis villeneuve who is the one of my current favorite directors he did arrival i don't know if you guys saw arrival right arrival he did he did sicario which is fucking brilliant and i honestly this is this is uh my my moment of ego and hubris (laughs) i deep in my heart of hearts i think if anyone else writes that they'll fuck it up (laughs) (laughs) that is that is that is literally my i'm like I, if anybody else does this, no one else understands what this movie is about. No, no one, one understands knows. what the series is about. <laughs> so that's my ego talking right there. There you go. Just got to email him, man. You heard it here first. Game Dev Unchained. We should reach out and see if we can make that happen for you. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. But, but it would be great. I would do it for nothing. See, now you're talking, right? Like, now you're talking. You yeah. just say now, we, now, now we got a seat for you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called We Got Some Leverage Here. Like, hey, look. For nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! So let's uh, let's transition into one of the other big subjects that we wanted to talk to you about and bring you on. Is we asked a couple of advanced Dungeons and Dragon questions, but let's roll into that. I mean, people probably by now, if they heard the podcast or came through your through your uh, channels, know how famous you are on YouTube and your involvement in the Dungeons and Dragons and design community and just trying to get people, you know, to in today 2017 to just demystify dungeons and dragons and that's exactly like, i really appreciate the resource that you've created so i wanted to kind of talk about that with you a little bit um well it's it really is just me feeling like it, it was a result of the fact that i would i would run dungeons and dragons for my friends at work mm-hmm. and one of the things i learned a pandemic and this surprised me because uh, I, again, I started the pandemic after having an entire career in the tabletop business. Yeah. So I was, I was, and as a result, pretty much always have been 10 or 15 years older than my coworkers. Okay. And I was surprised to discover that many of them had never played D&D. Mm-hmm. In fact, ne- many of them, like, um, I, I think if you're a tabletop gamer, this isn't obvious, but m- m- I would say most designers that I've worked with, most people in the business that I've worked with have never played any tabletop games. Mm, they were kids sin. i agree <laughs> is- i agree but when they were kids games were nintendo yeah right that was their that was their gaming and that's and that's you can spend your whole life in that ecology yeah. and never realize and then branch out to capcom branch out to you know uh metal gear and stuff like that and never never bat an eye and no, not even be aware that there's this whole other culture happening so mm. i would run games and in the 80s and 90s if i got burned out running D, somebody else would run and I get to play. And there's mm-hmm. no better way to kind of recharge your batteries than mm-hmm. playing in someone else's game. Yeah. Uh, and because you're either inspired because they run a great game mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Or you go, fuck, I'm such a better DM. I'm like, I'm, I want to <laughs> scoot over new. So one, either you have one of two reactions and both of them make you want to run again. But what would happen with people that never played before is that they would see what I was doing and they'd be like, oh, I could never do that. No. I could never do that. And I'm like, what? Like you're 30 for Christ's sake. I started when I was 15. Like <laughs> you're way, way, you would be a way better DM now than I yeah. was when I started. Don't right. compare yourself to me now. That's dumb. And yeah. you'd have a lot of fun doing it and your friends would have fun. So I just got frustrated with that reaction and I just decided, screw it. I'm going to start doing a video series in which I say, you can do this. It is actually, <laughs> it is actually fun yeah. and it's pretty easy. You can make it as hard as you want. Right. You can decide I'm going to build a whole world. I'm going to be George Martin. I'm going to build a whole world before we ever even start playing. That's fine. You can do that if you want, but you don't need to. You can just say, screw it. It's 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 11 o'clock in the morning. Let's get together at seven and I'll have something ready. That is possible. You can do that. And everyone will have a blast. So that was the that was where that came from. And the only thing the thing I like, like we had 100,000 subscribers on YouTube a couple of weeks ago and. That number is a completely arbitrary number, like, but it's an interesting milestone. The thing that I liked is the fact that it really does seem like a lot more people are running the game now. Like yeah. a lot more people think, oh, hell, I can do this. That's one yeah. of the reasons we, we started streaming my D&D game. We started actually recording it and putting it up on YouTube or putting it up on Twitch. We did it live on Twitch a couple of times. And the reason I did that, and I knew from the beginning, I knew from the beginning I was going to get on Twitch sooner or later and do it because mm. if you just watch the videos, you think, wow, that Matt Colville, he must be a really good DM. But then if you watch the Twitch stream, you're like, oh, actually, <laughs> actually, it's just like that's that's just like if I did it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And I knew Exposed. that if I did it online, people yeah. would be like, oh, this is actually not that big a deal. Yeah. Uh, and those guys are having fun. Mm-hmm. So screw it. I'll do it. So happily, that seems to have worked. That makes me very happy. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's entertaining. Uh, again, I said uh, earlier that I was introduced to your stuff by watching my lead watch your stuff and kind of react to it and have That's quick crazy. little dialogues with me about what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, let me check this out. Right. Like I, I played <laughs> yeah. D&D before. This seems interesting. But well, uh, he should I, run D&D for you at work. He tried. So he would always do uh, games on Wednesday nights. Yeah. And every Wednesday I had to turn him down because we podcast on Wednesday nights. Oh, yeah, sure. Fair so, enough. Yeah. So Mike Burkhead, uh, he's working at Servios now. Awesome guy. I'm giving him a shout out because he deserves it on this episode specifically. Totally ran D&D. Everyone in the studio who loved D&D would always go and play his campaigns. That's Week-long awesome. stuff. The guy was dedicated. He really enjoyed it. I, I would love for you two to meet somehow. Me I too. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I just, Bring them I, on a roundtable or something. Uh, good idea. I feel like if you... Everybody listening, if you if you want to play and you get the chance to play, the, the pact, the agreement is that you'll then run because the DM is doing a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of work that the players don't have to do. And so the agreement is that you will at some point give it a shot so that your dungeon master gets to play. Yeah. That should be the way it is. Has uh has Wizard of the Coast like kind of helped you along your YouTube way? Like I'm assuming they've seen you and reached out in some way, like, hey, this guy's like really helping us out. Let's do X, Y, um, and Z for him. They invited me to Seattle to for a big live stream event for a product announcement. There you go. Um, I don't know how successful that was Uh-oh. because even though I had a great time and it seemed like everybody up there was having a great time, when I came back, everyone I knew that was watching it were asking me what it was for. Mm, and i was uh, like uh they were like that was awesome what, what why were you guys up there 
And I was like, oh, um, well, it was, it was for a product announcement. So I guess it didn't, uh, I'm not sure how successful it was if you don't know that. <laughs> but, you know, apart from that, um, I don't really have a relationship with, like, I, I, I don't know any of the guys at Wizards of the Coast anymore. There are very, very few people up there that were there when I was there, and most of them are in business development. They're not in gotcha. game development. And, um, but, like, you know, Mike Merles, who's the lead designer on, in D&D, he was a freelancer in the business when I was at Decipher. So mm-hmm. we moved in a lot of the same circles. He did, he did some freelance work for a company I was with called Eden Studios. So I'd seen his writing come across my desk. In fact, he basically got the gig by being, like, the most prolific freelancer in the industry. Gotcha. Uh, and he worked his butt off, and now he's in charge of D&D. So he and I know each other by reputation, and he got me, like, a hotel room at Gen Con, like, the reservation. I had to pay for it. But they got, if not for him, I wouldn't even be able to get a reservation. Uh, So that was cool. And he's like, hey, we should get together and and just talk. And that's the longest conversation I've really had with anybody at Watsi is Mm -hmm. the lead designer who's just aware of me saying Mm -hmm. it would be cool just to hang out and talk about game and game design and stuff like that. So I don't have any kind of official relationship with Wizards of the Coast. I don't get like preview copies or anything like that. My philosophy is, and I'm probably going to do a video about this in the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. My philosophy about this and I don't think Mike Merles, I don't think anyone at Wizards of the Coast would ever say this, but I am 98% certain that Mike agrees with me. Dungeons and Dragons is not this product that you buy that's in a book. It's not mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons is not the rules in the book. Dungeons and Dragons is what happens at the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And uh, that's what matters. People get really worked up. It's that thing about, it's that thing we we're talking about earlier about how people, especially kids, like that feeling that there's a right answer to things. They don't like ambiguity. Right, right. So they, they, there are many people who want to use the rules. They want the rules to be the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, the rules are important. I'm not saying they're not. They're, but they're a guideline. They're a foundation. Yeah. What's important is what you guys are doing at the table. And the rules facilitate that. But so for me, D&D is not this thing Wizards of the Coast owns. It is this thing we are all doing together culturally, communally. Mm-hmm. and uh it belongs to everybody so let's let you know you don't you can you and if you don't want to if you, there are so many different editions of D, you can go out and spend no money spend a little money you don't even have to play the most recent version every version of D was fun mm-hmm. and i think would still be fun if it was the only edition you knew it's yeah. only when you start comparing editions that you start thinking about well i like this one for this so my question for you now is like, how do you feel about Wizards of the Coast's approach at kind of helping people get into the game? Like they're spending a lot of money and a lot of time to create resources that I feel like are aimed at entry level. Like, hey, just come check us out, right? Like they did a thing recently, they put together like a core rule set, which they yeah. put online and they have, uh, I remember like, I think this week or maybe early last or late last week, they're like, hey, you know, we've put all these uh, digital resources online, like the character creator and yep. uh, some of the other tools like and I'm, I'm, I'm taking notice, right? I haven't played Good. still, but like I keep my eyes on it. I was like, wow, they're making a big push to kind of reintroduce this game to, you know, new audiences. They are. And I could nitpick some of Uh-oh. the decisions they've made, but okay. that would be very unsportsmanlike considering how I think basically they've gotten everything right with fifth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, like they, they started, it's very valve like for them to start a thing called the DMs guild, which is basically just a skin over an existing website called like rpgnow.com mm-hmm. where you can sell your, your independent RPG. You can sell a PDF of for five bucks or whatever. Like your modules and, they, and stuff. Yeah. Or no, like completely not. You can, like, it, oh. RPG now exists 
for games that have nothing to do with D&D. There are just other role-playing games out there. Uh, But they partnered with RPG Now and started a website called the DMs Guild. And the DMs Guild is just D&D stuff, and it's all the official D&D stuff. It's everything they're making, they're doing their best to put every single D&D product that's ever been released since 1974 up on the DMs Guild as a PDF for like five bucks. Oh, awesome. even, if, even if the product was, I mean, some, some of them are a little bit more than five bucks, but this product, it was $30 when it came out. Yeah. Now it's four ninety nine. It's a PDF. Yeah. So that is not, you know, and anyone, and then they made their, Hey, they, so they did two things. One, Hey, let's take all of our content that we own. We bought TSR. So we own all this D and D content going back 40 years, mm-hmm. maybe 50 now. I don't know. Um, no, 40 years. And let's put it all online. Cheap PDF. That's awesome. Then yep. they also said, and you know what? Anyone who wants to can write their own D&D material, official D&D material, and upload it. And here, we're going to give away our trade dress. Like, there's, a, you can download Microsoft Word, Adobe PDF, InDesign, Adobe Illustrator, whatever file you want to work in. You can download their fonts, their backgrounds, and make your content look like their content, and then sell it in the DMs Guild, and you make money, and they take a cut. And that is a very Valve kind of Counter-Strike Team Fortress thing to do. Very forward-looking, very smart. Um, They don't, it used to be, they would feel like we have to put out a product a month or product two months or two products a month sometimes Mm -hmm. in order to constantly be generating revenue. But they don't do that anymore. They put out like one product a year and it's a big, big deal. And and that I think is really smart because every every product you put out, you you fracture the user base because not everybody Mm -hmm. buys it. And so now you have some people who bought this product and some people who didn't. And then the next product is even more fractured. And so the, the community ends up being divided among all these different products. Whereas when there's only one adventure, it's the product they put out every year is not more rules. It's a new adventure. Yes. There's a whole new adventure. It's going to take you from first level to 15th level, and it'll take a year and a half to play. And as a result, everyone's all playing the same adventure. Right. And that that is so valuable. Having everyone in the community all kind of playing, mm-hmm. not just the same game, but the same adventure means that they all are they're developing this shared language. You go to a game store, you meet somebody you don't know who plays DD, he's probably played uh you know uh, Storm King's Thunder, and you mm-hmm. say, Where are you in Storm King's Thunder over here? Oh, did you check this out? Oh shit, no, I didn't know there was a secret door there. Fuck. And now the, that's that connection has just strengthened the whole D network. And I think that stuff is super smart. So I think they're doing a, I think they're doing a great job. They, they did a, um, they did an E tool. They did a, uh, the, the thing you were talking about, Larry, the, um, the online tools, they did an earlier version of that with another company and it was called Morningstar. And I was in the beta for it and it was okay. terrible. It was awful. And so they, <laughs> they, they didn't release it. They cut it. They said, no, we're not going to do it. It's not good. And I was like, wow, that is something that many earlier D and D companies would not have done. Right. They uh, they said we're not. They did like kind of the Blizzard thing of like we're not going to release it if it's not good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And so hats off to them. Also, they've they've uh, you're, we. I don't. I honestly. I honestly don't think. I, I we haven't seen anything yet. I, mm-hmm. I think that the future is going to be so it's so bright and so different. Like the guys that they're working with now, Curse. They're I believe they're owned by Twitch, mm-hmm. and they want to do yes. like real in the bones Twitch integration. And I honestly think that playing rpgs yeah on twitch is going to become it's gonna be huge yeah maybe it'll never be as big as video games but here's the thing man like video games are an incredibly solitary thing to do yeah yeah like go watch any streamer what are you watching you're watching someone at home alone playing a game oh 
right? It's somebody home alone. Nail on the head. They've got a whole bunch of people watching. That's great. They're in a game with a whole bunch of people. That's great. <laughs> but they are home alone playing the game. Whereas you watch people playing D&D right. and it's seven or eight, four or five, six right. friends all gathered around a table together. Right. And they're all playing together. And that is so much more interesting to watch. I think it's so much. We're 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 just we're just big monkeys. We 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 want to see other other monkey faces, and yeah. that's how we get emotions, and that's how we reinforce right. the human experience. And so, just watching these guys sitting around the table, and that feeling of oh, I'm I, I could be there at the table with them. Like right. it's like watching Friends or Seinfeld. It's that illusion right. of they would be my friends, and that's something that I think um, mm, it, it's going to be hard to beat. And Twitch wasn't designed for any of that nonsense, right. but the guys at Curse. I think are working hard to make it mm -hmm. so that it will, it will work and be like optimized. So yeah. there's cool stuff coming. So I, uh, I think critical role does a pretty good job at like showing us a glimpse of that future. It's for them. It's, Hey, we're friends playing D and D together. And they have like silly stuff that they do. Like, Oh, one guy will like try to do the voices of all the people and, whatever yeah. the voice acting guy i've only seen a couple episodes well i mean guy. you haven't you haven't much, you like much that, narrowed but... the field because they're yeah. all voice actors they're all, <laughs> well, I mean, they're all so professional voice I just, actors i remember one guy specifically was doing i think multiple voices in like he wasn't just playing himself he was playing other characters and, yeah anyway he's building, he's building a demo reel yeah. long long story short like that <laughs> i know those guys is, they're good friends of mine Oh yeah. man! Well, there you go. Now I feel terrible for butchering this. Like I'm trying to bring it no, up no. as an example, no, and I'm like totally no. messing it up. No, well, I mean, all, um, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> all that I was trying to get to is like I feel like that's a great glimpse of exactly what you're saying, which is I'm involving the world in this fun game that I'm playing with multiple people. If yeah. Twitch can give us an opportunity to recreate that same feeling, even though I'm in isolation, yeah. I think they're gonna they're gonna have an awesome offer. Completely agree. When when they first started streaming their game. Mm -hmm. um so I'm, I'm good friends with a couple of the people on critical there are many of them I've, I've never met okay. um i know many of them by reputation i i cast voice actors for a, uh, a job so like every single one of them has come across my desk in auditions in one form or another uh but matt mercer is a good friend of mine liam o'brien who's one of the uh one of the players on the show is a super good friend of mine that guy saved my ass on evolve he was our voice director he oh, made nice. my dialogue sound good and uh good friends with marisha and the three of them like they're their show the first show i was tweeting at mike merles the design director for dnd saying these guys are the best ambassador for dnd mm -hmm. like what this does what this does is something that's never happened before dnd is an incredibly weird thing to do right like video games aren't weird video games mm -hmm. are are super straightforward like here's a screen here's some buttons play right and anybody can pick it up there's a game for even if you're in your 60s go play pac-man there's something there for you but DD is fundamentally weird it is a weird game it's a weird thing to do like we're all going to get together but one person is different than all the others that's the dungeon master what a weird term for it and they're gonna there's gonna be we're gonna talk in character sometimes and do silly voices and there's a dungeon and we're gonna roll dice what are all these weird dice how many sides does this dice have i have people that i've been playing with for a year and a half and still don't know the difference between a d8 and a d10 mm -hmm. uh and critical role makes it seem not only like it's pretty easy but like it's fun like mm -hmm. this would be fun like it would be fun to play with them and so it's going to be a huge revolution i think people are good normal people normal people can watch that show and go oh that looks like fun 
Now I know what you meant by rolling in 20s. (laughs) (laughs) Now going back in full circles. For some reason, I thought rims. That was the only, I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I get it. it. Uh, All right, we got it. Yeah, I think it's, I think, I think that the, we're, I said this in a blog post a while ago, that I think the history of the industry is going to be split into before critical role and after critical role because so many people now, just everyday regular people, so anybody on Twitch, because they're when they stream, they're like one of the top three shows yeah. on Twitch. Uh, all these people that are playing, you know, a player unknown battlegrounds are like, yeah. what is this other thing over here? Yeah. And the fact that a lot of those voice actors are famous, a lot of them yeah. have been the voices of characters. Everyone watching on Twitch knows. Uh, like that's McCree from Overwatch is the dungeon master. Right. So they're like, well, what is this? And they click on it and they watch it and they're like, I don't know what they're doing, but God, that's fun. That looks fun. And so that's, I think going to be, it used to be, it's impossible to explain to somebody why D and D is fun. Don't bother. Like it's trying to explain to somebody why it's fun to ride a bicycle. Mm. Like I can't, it's just do it, just do it. And you'll see it's fun. It's watching people do it. It's going to be, it's going to be huge. And you nail on the head, man. Like the whole isolation playing games is like, I love video games. I love the single player experiences. They're great. But like, I also, I need like a great social interaction to just feel like my life is complete. You know, it's just important. And I I feel like seeing games kind of leaning back towards that, where it's like, like cards against humanity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I played apples to apples, but like when cards against humanity came out, I'm seeing people who don't play you know, analog games. Like, what is this cards against humanity? What I can say all this like loud, vulgar, racist, terrible stuff. Yes. And yeah. I'm with other people who will do the same and we'll have a great time, you know, like, yeah. Cards it, against humanity. There's, there's, I mean, there are many, many generations of yeah. uh, people who grew up with board games or tabletop games are monopoly mm-hmm. and clue mm-hmm. and maybe risk. And those are in many cases, terrible games. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and now we've got games like uh, you can go to Target and like one of the, the like the in the games department, the best selling game is either Cards Against Humanity or Settlers of Catan. Settlers mm-hmm. of Catan is a game Settlers. you can play with your kids and it's super mm-hmm. fun and it's straightforward. And it's a kind of an introduction to a whole style of game called Euro games yeah. that people who play Settlers of Catan are going to go on and play lots of other games. They're not going to play. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have these memories of playing like we played Monopoly. It was terrible. We hated it. Like, well, we didn't like the rules didn't make any goddamn sense. Um, whereas the cards against humanity is a fun adult game. Settlers Catan is a game you can play with anybody. You can play with your kids and it completely changes the, the way we understand board games. Like I love video games. Yeah. I love playing games online with my friends. Um, that all that being said, it doesn't take the place of face-to-face interaction. Mm-hmm. We have all this technology that is all trying to simulate being together face to face and it's it's better than nothing and in some cases it's really good but when you watch somebody on twitch dealing with their ten thousand followers in chat yeah it's like what is going on this is insane right it's gone completely overboard uh and chat becomes this unruly monster right (laughs) i don't know how people reach chat chat, you have 0.3 seconds of relevance yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. and it's it's this mob it's funny because stuff like twitch plays pokemon and stuff like that is almost better than just than just people just watching a guy play a game because it's like well we've got 50,000 people in chat anyway, and you can't read any of it. Let's just feed their commands into a game Uh, because otherwise it becomes really, there's like, I think that, yeah, I think stuff like Twitch chat, 
I don't think those guys meant to launch a social platform, man. I think those guys thought they were going to make us get streaming games easy and make money off it. And mm-hmm. chat is kind of an afterthought. It all, it still seems like an afterthought. Right. right and right. as a result, uh, it doesn't have any of the tools that Lenny, like, you know, every other social platform is more robust and, and spends more time thinking about this stuff. And Twitch is like, whatever, you can talk to people, shut up. <laughs> and so they've got a long way to go, but like, getting to see people play games at uh together in person i think is in many ways more engaging mm-hmm. than just watching a dude you know with a with a logitech webcam in his room with his cat <laughs> playing a game Talking about us well you were mentioning before <laughs> there's a reconnaissance uh renaissance uh with tabletop right now and uh, everything you're saying and what you were discussing right now about the social aspect of even twitching like the funnest ones that i've seen are the ones that with two live friends just playing a game together and just chit-chatting back and forth those are the ones that i like to watch because they always jibe uh, jib and jab against each other and make fun of each other and it's just less exhausting than watching one person every time i watch like i used to watch sacriel who's awesome and he he was one of the early evolved streamers, and that dude has to stream like ten hours a day, six days a week. You know, so, that's like that's the business. Like, if you if like make work. money with this, it is. <laughs> it's, and I was like, God, this is exhausting. And the dude was so good at what he did. Like he was always he always had his eye on chat. Yeah. He was always able to pick comments out and respond to them because that's the promise. Right. Of doing it live, the promise of doing right. it live is you're going to get you, you may at some point get some interaction with the streamer. Uh, and but if you've got two people doing it now, they can talk to each other. It just feels less like work it feels less yeah, exhausting sounds more fun yeah yeah i couldn't do this podcast without larry larry never <laughs> yeah, what would it be s- yeah it would be like yeah. never ever says that to me but it's fine that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's how um, i feel about it <laughs> I, I say i i pay tribute to you every episode at the start with like a, <laughs> couldn't do it without him the brandon fail like, right 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 yeah. but yeah i i do, do feel like gaming if anything where we're we're doing it in well, twitching, all this stuff, the social networking, but we're returning to what it used to be where it's just a group of friends in a room together yeah. doing yeah. something. And that's, and it's the, the great thing is that like, I'm a huge believer in the technology. And I think that even though I will always love doing it face to face, you know, I now have friends all over the world, friends that I've known in real life that moved away and the technology allows us to still hang out and still play games together. And that has a real tangible value. That being said, gosh, it'd be nice if we were still living around to work in the same place and able to get together for game night. Right. Uh, so I think that both are going to, both are going to live and thrive, but we've gone through an era where it was all technology and now we have some of the analog stuff, I think being relevant again. Right. Well, there's another game we play on this yes. podcast. Mm-hmm. It's called, we've been podcasting for an hour officially. Uh, congratulations. You made it the whole way. Yay. And uh, as DM of this podcast, I'm going to offer you a treasure. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> the treasure is Brandon and I are going to be quiet for a couple of minutes, and we're going to allow you to talk directly to our audience. You can you can promote, advertise, or raise awareness or draw attention to something you're really excited about, something you're working on, or just you know let people know about something that you're involved in. So, without further ado, sir, the floor is yours. You know, I'm really I, one of the things about this YouTube channel is that I am not inherently somebody who thinks that what he does or what he thinks is or should be important to anybody but himself. So it's always weird to me. I don't like, I don't like any, I don't like promoting stuff. I don't like, uh, I mean, uh, there's, um, 
you know, there's a, um, there's a, a couple of charities that I donate to. And even that, even that, I think charity should be something that you just keep to yourself. Like, <laughs> like, I think that, I think that like talking about the charities you donate to makes it seem like the reason you're donating is because you want that attention, that good right, moral right, feeling. Right. So you got to talk to people about it. Um, and well, you don't I, have to always, say the amount, but you know, if you do like the charity, there's, it, um, so, I mean, this is going to seem strange, but the, um, the uh there's a there's a uh, animal the tasmanian devil that used mm-hmm. to be a, in a cartoon the yeah. tasmanian devil is a real creature it's um isn't Australia. a marsupial it's uh, it's in tasmania which is an island and it is the only creature in the world that has a transmissible form of cancer oh which means when two when when one tasmanian devil with cancer gets in a fight with another one that doesn't have it they they bite each other and they transfer the cancer and so it's a huge so i i donated to that cause uh on more than one occasion and the great thing was i every year now i get this fantastic envelope that comes from the university of australia it's this huge envelope it's got all these stamps on it It seems exotic came from far away and it's just got a calendar it's just got to save the tasmanian devil calendar in it and i love it i think it's great and they uh those guys it's not um it's not a great it's not a, there aren't a whole lot of people in the world who are worried about the Tasmanian devil. So there's not a lot of money there and they do good work. They do research on the vaccine mm-hmm. and they also have a, a, a program that they're enacting where they're taking all the ones that they know don't have cancer mm-hmm. and putting them on another Island. Mm-hmm. And they're like, worst case scenario is the ones on this Island die from the cancer. <laughs> and when they're all gone, we bring the other ones back. And now the cancer is gone and we have a population. That's a worst case scenario. So uh, check out the Save the Tasmanian Devil Foundation. I don't really, apart from that, I like talking about movies. I like promoting movies. Go see Dunkirk. Dunkirk oh, yeah, I saw movie. Dunkirk. Fantastic. Did you, did you see it in 70 millimeter? I saw it uh, not 70 millimeter IMAX, unfortunately. If you have the chance to see see, look it up, look it up and see. Brandon doesn't have an excuse because it's right down the street from him at IMAX at Spectrum. But if you have a chance to, the Spectrum is one of the only theaters in California that you can do this at. But they, um, Christopher Nolan prefers the IMAX format. It's huge. It's massive. Mm-hmm. It's not the normal size of a screen. It's not just bigger. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, it's on a bigger screen. The actual dimensions of the picture are physically larger. The, um, the, the, like the, the piece of film it's being on is like literally four times larger than a 70, normal 70 millimeter shot. So mm-hmm. it's like VR without the headset. You really nice. feel like you're in the movie. It's so huge. Oh, yeah, that Dunkirk. sucks. What did you think of Dunkirk? I love it. I uh, I didn't pick up right away because I was watching with my girlfriend and kind of explaining a couple of things yeah. that they were kind of doing like one single timeline from the different perspectives. I think one camera shot kind of told that to me. I was like, oh, wait. Oh, totally. Like, I see it all now. And so I, I just love the film. They really, really pull on the heartstrings at the end. And there's some characters that they introduce. And it's just like, fuck, man, this story is like, these are superheroes to me. Because granted, everything is like, I don't want to say an exaggeration, but they're kind of creating this narrative of like, hey, look, putting something on these stories yeah. is exaggerating it. Yeah. Even okay. if you are 100% faithful to the thing just just putting it on screen and saying hey come into this big empty dark <laughs> room and yeah. sit down and watch this thing that is the yeah. act of exalting it yeah, yeah. Uh, whether well, we like it or not so yeah knowing that young men and even women had to go through the events that they showed knowing that it was like Man, this is exactly i was like 19 20 21 they were young yeah 
and uh and they were fighting and dying and oh. yeah it's uh it's amazing and i was i did not know i was familiar with churchill's speech it's a famous mm -hmm. speech you know we will mm -hmm. fight them on the beaches mm -hmm. we will never we will never surrender and he was telling the british people like mm -hmm. we will never accept we will never accept nazi occupation mm -hmm. uh, no matter what happens and there were a lot of people in england who there's a great tv series by the way it's just a mm -hmm. kind of bog standard british murder mystery series right so pretty good production values pretty good writing called foils war and it's about a guy who's a detective chief inspector works for, he's a cop he's a cop he investigates crimes but it happens to be world war ii mm. and the whole series is about it just completely opens your eyes to what was going on in england while the war was happening and how many people in england were using the war as an excuse to like resolve old grudges right yeah. people were making power plays in england because they thought the germans were coming like why are you even bothering investigating crimes there won't mm -hmm. be a british government in three days the mm -hmm. germans will be here mm -hmm. and people were using this this chaos and this opportunity to do all sorts of crazy stuff and you you learned that not everybody agreed with churchill not people were like why don't we just surrender who cares mm -hmm. like the germans are great like my my aunt is german Right. Mm -hmm. These guys like that kind of stuff. Uh, these were people who didn't know anything about the Holocaust. Right. This was not mm -hmm. public knowledge at the time. No. Uh, so th it, that that kind of stuff is is fascinating to me. And I did not know that that speech that he gave, which is super famous, was a result of Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I knew about Dunkirk. And I knew about that speech. I didn't know. I hadn't put one and one together. And it was also interesting is that I didn't realize, I don't think I'd ever heard the entire speech. I'd only heard that excerpt where he mm -hmm. says, we will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in the air. We will never surrender. I didn't know that the end of the speech is about us. Mm. At the end of the speech, he says, we're going to do whatever it takes, even if it means living in the fucking hills and eating nuts and berries mm -hmm. until the new world with its new power comes to our aid because he knew Churchill knew sooner or later, America yeah. would enter the war. Yeah. And when that happened and there, in fact, when they bombed Pearl, the story is that when they bombed Pearl Harbor, there were two stories. One is someone in the war room with Churchill said, what's Pearl Harbor? Mm. because it was an obscure naval base, right? No, most, maybe most Americans hadn't heard of it. Uh, but the, the story is that Churchill put his hand on the map of England and said, we won. Mm. Because even though they were at their wits end and they were about to get bombed into oblivion, he knew that there was no way that the Nazis could stop the American juggernaut once right. it got started. So right. it was really cool in the, in the movie hearing that. I kind of teared up a little bit hearing that, that kid reading that speech and about how like the last thing Churchill says is he just throws this fucking football and just hopes that America is going to catch it. And no right. one, at that moment, no one knows what's going to happen. Yeah, it's a super good movie. So Dunkirk is the promotion and also save the Tasmanian devil. Yes. Why not? Yes. Everyone? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, do you want to plug your YouTube channel at all? I mean, you know, if you look up running the game on YouTube, I think I'm the, or just on Google, like running D and D learning how to play D and D. I think I'm the first uh, hit usually nowadays, uh, which is, which is kind of uh, humbling, but yeah, it's just Matt. It's just my name, Matt Colville uh, on YouTube. And uh, every once in a while I'll do stuff about movies. Because it's always been something I've always blogged about movies. I had, I had a blog for a long time. I did a podcast about movies. And that stuff goes over pretty well. I've got a couple of episodes. I was doing a series on the movie 2001. Because nice. it's a movie that I, a lot of people who love movies have watched. And mm -hmm. they come away from it going, what the hell was that? <laughs> and I, I actually think that all the answers are there in the movie. Yeah. It's just that Kubrick was one of those dudes who did not like exposition. He didn't like it when characters in the movie stopped talking to each other and turned to the audience and explained everything. Right. So none of that. The, the answers are there, 
but none of it's in the dialogue. You kind of have to right. be paying attention. And so that was fun. I'd like to go back to doing that. But yeah, it's mostly just Matt Colville. It's mostly D&D. Nice. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us for another wonderful podcast. I don't have a rhyme this time, so I'm just going to say goodnight. Hey, guys, I got my homework assignment. Play D&D, watch Dunkirk. <laughs> no, but and, for uh, reals, <laughs> Halloween's coming up for reals. We should play at work at Total Rock. We should Let's play werewolves. Because it. It, used to be a, it used to be a tradition, and oh, now we're dude. a big, big company. But you will have a blast. I love that game. It's I cool. am... I'm going to say I'm a master, but we'll see. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. We'll do it. It'll be a blast. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a lot of fun. Our pleasure. Good night. Good night, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.